Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 77 of Unmasked. I am your host, Neil Getzlow. As always, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I appreciate you. appreciate my faithful listeners. If you happen to be new here, thank you for finding the show. Thank you for tuning in today. And I encourage you to scroll through your podcast feed, check out some of the older episodes that you might have missed, and also head on over to neilgetzlow.com where you can learn more about me and you can learn more about my journey and my book, Unmasked, Conquering Sexual Sin and Walking in Victory. So as a reminder, um, we're still donating $1 from every play of episodes number 76 through 80 of Unmasked, today 77. And that's going to take us through the end of October. And it's going to, those, that dollar is going to go to Run to Stop It. It's an organization that, that Amy and I are passionate about. Uh, they're fighting human sex trafficking in the U.S. and they provide their funds to a couple of really awesome organizations that are literally on the ground doing the work uh, against sex trafficking. So again, every listen, $1 goes to run to stop it. So pay, listen, share it with others, and let's get the listener count up here in the month of October. Now, before uh, before we jump into today's interview, I do want to ask for a little bit of grace uh, it's been a, it's been uh, <laughs> have been very inconsistent in getting these shows out to you, and so I just I just apologize. Um, you followed me, you've joined me on this journey, and yeah, and I've um, you know life is just caught up at times, and there's a lot going on. It's good stuff, uh, but it, it it's it's been busy. It's been taking my attention away from the show, but uh, but I am still here. We have, a, like I said, we've got interviews lined up actually all the way through November. So we've got a lot of great content coming up. So I just ask, I just ask for your grace and forgiveness. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm committed to doing a better job and getting you, getting you a new episode every week going forward. As I say this today, as of this recording. All right, well, let's jump into uh, today's episode. Today's guest is. Jean McConnell. Jean is founder of Authentic Relationships International. On today's episode, Jean has an incredible story to share about God's redeeming power. He was sexually assaulted as a child, exposed to pornography at an early age, rejected by his church in his original attempts to heal, and ultimately acting out with, with buying sex and committing his own act of attempted sexual assault. But God transformed his heart in one simple act of love by a brother in Christ. That story is about halfway through this episode, so be on the lookout for it because it is really, it's something that has stuck with me. And today, Gene has 40 years of experience in developing education about pornography's role in the exploitation of men, women, and children in our society today. He was also recently featured uh, in a movie by Exodus Cry. Uh, their documentary buying her and he's he's just got a, a powerful story to share so let's just jump right into it today it is an honor to be able to share episode 77 of unmasked with you unmasking the journey of gene mcconnell and god's power of redemption gene thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week it is an honor to talk to you uh so thank you man uh, it's my pleasure to be here it's a so, uh, yeah. beautiful day <laughs> hey, every day that we're here and able to walk in the presence of God is, uh, and with God is a good day for sure. Amen. Um, 
so hey, before we before we get started, why don't you just take a second to introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and what you do and all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Um, I'm Gene McConnell. I am I am a founder and CEO of Authentic Relationships International, and uh, we have s- several um, initiatives. And one of the initiatives is to to address shame and to understand what's at the roots of most struggles. And so we do workshops and conferences and retreats and counseling. Another initiative is to do we call uh, authentic manhood, which we help men look at masculinity and well, what does it mean to be a man and how do we show up as men in our relationships, both with our kids and our family and our work and as a just being a person of society. And then thirdly, we deal with uh, the anti-trafficking side of things, in which we deal with child exploitation. Um, and we talk about pornography, sexual exploitation, uh, prostitution, massage parlors, all stripping, all of that stuff. So that kind of makes sense of it. And all th- actually, all, all three of them weave so tightly together that yes. you really can't separate them. But um, yeah. So anyhow, that's kind of the, the big thing, I think, in that the anti-trafficking initiative is that I've been in, I was in the, the anti-trafficking fight for almost 40 years and I shifted and moved into and we'll tell more about this later. But I shifted and moved into not just combating the supply side uh, where you, you know, you get legislators to pass laws, get judicial process to, to, to enforce those law or to, to make sure those laws have teeth. And I'll work with law enforcement, uh, social work. Um, but we decide, I decided that that was, although that's amazing work, we are not really addressing the demand side. And that's never, what I mean by demand is simply saying what, the why. Why do we consume? And if we don't address the appetite for why we consume women, how we purchase children, how we use women as commodities. If we don't address that, not only mindset, but the heart to it, then we change nothing. Because as long as there's a dollar to be spent, there's always going to be something available. And so the idea is that as much as we need to deal with the, the supply side, and hallelujah for all those who work their butts off to do that, I believe that we bring a unique piece to the table in addressing the demand, helping men stop. Yeah, absolutely. And so then that's how I I became familiar with your work. I had a chance to attend the uh, Exodus Cry movie, Buying Her, had a premiere showing in Kansas City earlier this summer, and, and you were there. And that's how we had a chance to be able to connect for just a little bit. And, and so that's, and, and yes, yeah, so and that's where, that's the, the, um, the side of the battle that I'm, I'm on with you right on the demand side and trying to draw attention to that and, and why and how we are stuck in that battle. So let's, let's start there with that for this discussion. Like how, so for you, how was that, what was your journey like as you were, um, getting involved with pornography and, and, and buying sex and all that? Um, how did that well, play out in your life? You know, I, um, I grew up in church all my life. And so I'm a preacher's kid. And, uh, so I've been in church more than I've been anywhere else. Um, and many that we think that growing up in church is a protective factor and that what you'll, you can pretty much guarantee if you have a good scenario where kids are growing up and, 
and a good church and good people around them and all that, that, that you would protect your killed children from any problems or really any really sexual issues in particular. And, uh, and, but for me growing up in church, all of my wounding, all of my story is wrapped up in church community. So when I say that I was molested at six, uh, by a babysitter that was somebody from the church uh, and that happened for about you know three to four years and more times than I can count and that first encounter uh, it's really hard to explain in words because it there's the, the power behind what happened was huge the the impact was like an atom bomb went off in my soul because here's this person who says they like me, they think I'm handsome, I'm special, that I'm you, that they want me, uh, they want to spend time with me. But then I felt so I felt uh, the beauty of being wanted. But then at the same time, slash, I felt dirty, I felt soiled, and I felt like I was damaged goods. So on one side, I was feeling I felt just wantable. The other side, I felt trash. And so having shame and sex become the first experience of my, you know, my first sexual experience, so that shame was weaved in it, it actually set the tone for every sexual experience that I had from there on. Shame and sex had to come together to make it more, in my mind, pleasurable. But so I, I looked at my life, I looked at myself and I said, you know, look at this dirty little boy. That's the thoughts that I had. Um, I'm dirty. I'm broken. Um, no one would ever if they saw that dirty little boy, they saw that piece of me that was broken and damaged. I, they would walk away. They would go, Ooh, they would say disgusting. And so I made a commitment to never let anybody get close enough to see that. And so I stuffed it down and, and pretended I memorized scripture. Uh, you know, I was speaking at an early age. I was very involved memorizing chunks of scripture and the idea of that my life looked like it was together, but the more I was, more damage that was going on inside of my own life, uh, the sexual abuse continued to go on. And as long as it continued to go on, I would, the way it would show up in church would be as I was performing. So I, I became this performer. Um, means everything looks great. Looks like I'm a great preacher's kid. I'm going to go a long ways. Going to walk in the shoes of my father. All that kind of stuff, right? But no one had a clue on the inside. I was feeling like I was trash. It was no good, unlovable. And uh, and unfortunately, that experience, even though I kept stuffing them down, it just it continued on with another person. You know, a boy was brought into our home that was going through. His parents were going through a divorce, and my parents brought him in to help help him. And he came in, and the day he walked into our my bedroom, he began to molest me as well. And, you know, he beat up my bullies. He was about five, six years older than me. So, he, you know, we skateboarded together. We, we rode bikes together. We did everything together. And so, you know, here he is, this father figure for me. Um, but, uh, but he introduced sex, too. And, and, um, and then at the age of 12, I was molested by a 18-year-old at, at a church camp. And the, the 18-year-old boy. And so the, the whole thing is, is like, what is this? I, I got this neon sign on my forehead. It says, here I am, molest me. So I, I didn't know how to make sense of, and I didn't feel like I could talk about what just happened to me all those years. And the one thing about it is, is that they were all in the church. Uh, they were all Christian community and the Christian community. 
And uh, it, it, they would come to church and they'd worship and they'd raise their hands and they were a part of all that. So on one side, I saw one side of them and another, you know, behind closed doors, I was seeing another. And it set in tone a, a whole thing of how you hide, how do you live something different? How do you never let anybody see? But the bigger piece was the shame. The shame of that uh, I'm too broken to be loved. Therefore, I can never be seen. That will be suicide. And so God created us for a relationship so that to be seen, to be fully seen. So intimacy is the words in to me see. So you see fully into my life and you still love me and accept me. That's what intimacy is. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, my fear is if you see that part of me, you're going to throw me out. You're going to reject me. And so I, so I swallowed up uh, all of that garbage and with the belief that I, I, I can believe intimacy is good for you, but I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm not a candidate for it. There's no way I could, I can't risk and be loved. So I'm going to have to do something different um, to meet those needs. And it was that time, the 12 years old was, Around the same season, I, w- I was I was molested by this church camp church camp guy, counselor. Um, that I ran across pornography for the first time, and it was at my uncle's house, and uh, who was an elder in the church, and so I came across this stash that he had in the back in his back building of in his property, and when I opened up that first magazine, it was like a drug injected in my veins, the excitement, the arousal. Um, and, but interesting enough, shame again, pleasure and shame combined. And, um, you know, the not even knowing how to even articulate like, wow, this was, this was shame on steroids. Cause now, now this, now there's, um, you're getting to see women, you're getting to see different positions and body parts and all that stuff. That's all been hidden and evil and all that considered in church. So literally was just um, enamored by it, but at the same time, disgusted by it. And I swore I'd never go back to it. I, I cry out to God because keep in mind, I'm a pastor's kid. So I'm literally in church more times than anybody else. Every time those doors are open, I'm there. So I'd run down to the altar and I'd cry and I meant it. I wanted to stop this. I really got it. I'll never do it again. Because I knew it was polluting my soul. I knew it was, it was the, because I could see how, even at a young age, I could see how my perceptions of women were changing, how I was looking to uh, with un, really unhealthy fantasies and and things that were uh, toxic and destructive. And if anybody would have seen those thoughts, there's no way they would even be close to me. So again, my life lived a life of shame of shame being that I'm, I'm hiding, I'm not letting anybody see. I can't let you in uh, when I was in, when I just went to Bible, just got out of Bible college and got married. From 21, I started back into the porn. And then until to, to, I was 29, when it all blew up on me, 29, as I was in the back of a racquetball court, getting out of my car to go play racquetball. It was at night. The parking lot was almost empty. And as I was getting out of my car, this woman walks by. And when this woman walks by, she, she fit all of the scenario of what my fantasies were, um, of what I've been consuming. And something inside just snapped and said, you know, here's your chance. Here's your chance to fulfill all your fantasies. And 
And so I just kind of uh, let go. And I walked to follow her to her car. And when I got to her car, I asked her a question just to kind of break the ice. And she answered my question. It was, uh, where's the local Walmart? And she gave me instructions. And then uh, as she turned to get into her car and I act like I was going to turn, I turned right back around and forced my way into the car. I had my hands around her throat with a full intent to rape. And the fear in her eyes when she asked me what I was going to do was like somebody hit me right across the face and said, wake up, dude, what are you doing here? And uh, I just, uh, when I, when I saw the fear in her eyes, it was a wake up call. It was just, it, 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 all of a sudden, I know this sounds really crazy, but it's like, oh my gosh, this is a human being. This is, she's, she doesn't want to be here. This is not what she wants. This is scaring her. This is hurting her. And I think it was that awareness that kind of brought me to a reality that this was, I, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was harmful. I knew it was destroying my thinking and my polluting my heart. And it was polluting my fantasies, but I had no clue that this was harming others until that moment. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the the crazy thing about when you on the demand side of things, right? Is that when you're when you're buying women, you are paying for that coercion, basically, right. right? Like you're you know you're paying for that consent, even though that consent may not truly be there in any other circumstance, right? So, and I never that's the thing I never for me I don't think I until I got out of it did I really consider was I exploiting this person. Right. Was I harming this person? Because I, for me, I never got into a situation where someone said, where I saw that look of fear, or I saw that look of desperation. And I, that's probably, it was probably there. I'm sure I just looked past it because I was in my mm-hmm. state of whatever I wanted to do, you know, to, to do what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, I mean, I, it's, um, it's, it's scary that we did, we never considered when you objectify other people, right? That's, that's what happens. You end up, don't see, you don't see them as humans. Yeah. Well, the thing is about objectification and, you know, um, is that we were stripped them of their dignity because now what's happened is, is that you take away their voice, you take away their dreams, take away what they want, take away, you know, they have skills, they have thoughts, they have, they have a heart, they, they have a whole lot to them that makes them up as a human being. And then, you know, do they have a family? Are they a parent? Are they married? Are they someone's daughter? There's so much dynamics to that person. And we're just reducing her down to her breast and her butt and how it flows and what we want, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. so the objectification is somehow that I have a right to take without concern or consideration for what the impact is to that human being because I've reduced her to an object. And so... That's why objectification is so destructive. That's why pornography is the entry level to objectification, because what it does is it reduces that woman to a body part rather than a human being. And so when I reduce a woman to a body part now, I mean, it's that she's I can do whatever I want. It's the same as if I had a car. The car is an object. If I crash the car, well, there's a little bit of money involved, but hey, it's my car. I'll just replace it. I'll get it fixed because I don't think that there's not any emotion there. There's not anything that's not alive. It's inanimate. 
So when I'm looking at a woman and I'm objectifying her, I'm reducing her to, I'm stripping her of her dignity, her value, who she is. And uh, we don't think twice about that when we're consuming in this world. And, but if you had asked me outside of that fantasy site, women are people, they're special. Hey, yeah, you train them well. And that not even connecting how the sexual framework, uh, the fantasy and all that was reducing and causing damage. So I had that woman in the car and I, I literally, when I saw the fear in her eyes, it was like somebody just slapped me, it woke me up and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is another human being. This is clearly hurting her. And I said, I'm sorry, uh, I'm going to let you go, and I'm, I'm getting out of here. And I had done nothing but force my way into the car, but it was enough. That was enough damage. There's no way that was healthy or good. But, it, but I stopped. I didn't go any further. And I went to my car, and I was in a daze. I was saying, I can't believe I just did this. I crossed this line. She got my license plate. She turned me in, and then everything came out in the open. So now... For the first time ever, anybody, nobody knew. So now everybody knows. Yeah. So it changed the dynamics of everything. Um, I got, you know, I went through an incredible amount of uh, rejection from the church uh, that I was serving, and I, I understand. I betrayed them. I, I, I lied to them. I was deceptive. Uh, I lived two different lives. I, I was certainly being. Um, someone that they couldn't trust. So I broke trust. I violated their their vulnerabilities. The idea, though, that that they they were they objectified me. I was now an offender, and now they could just throw me away, not thinking about could I be redeemed or could I be changed or could I make a mistake. You know, they had right. no sense of redemption. It was all punishment. So, um, and it, it very similar. To, really in terms of how i don't go too far with this but it's very similar in terms of how much of the anti-trafficking movement is anti-male anti they would prefer to punish the man rather than redeem the man and so when you talk about redemption it almost seems like you're betraying their the movement because hey what about all this bad stuff they've done and you're going wait a minute we're not saying that everything that has been done is wrong and needs to be consequences absolutely because i went to jail I spent time and I spent time for that. I actually had consequences. And I would say that they were necessary. Those consequences woke me up and made me see, okay, this is harming someone. But then I needed to do some things to change. I had to take some steps to change. So consequences are good, but they're not the only piece to the pie. And if all we have is punishment and lock them up and throw away the key. And we don't have any idea what to do with them after the fact, except for to try to make them a prisoner for the rest of their lives. There's no redemptive factor in that. Well, and I think that's, you know, and that's part of the reason why I, I share my story. I know I'm sure that's why you share your story is to bring a little bit of empathy um, to the men. Not that, again, we don't deserve anyone's sympathy or anyone to feel sorry for us. We brought this all on ourselves through our actions and we, the, we pay the consequences and we take accountability for those actions, but we can be redeemed and God does redeem and, and can, and can restore hearts. Yes. And so, and I, so I'm curious how, how God was able to restore your heart uh, following this. You know, it's, it's such an important piece that we're talking about now. This is what we're going to walk through in this next few minutes is, 
is something that is not really considered in, in any of the mental health side of it. Once an offender, always an offender. You know, once a predator, always a predator. You know, once an addict, always an addict. Uh, there's just so much flawed thinking from the help community. Um, and so the idea here was that once I came out in the open and the, the church literally put me, I call it the 12, the, 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 the den of death, um, is I had to go sit in front of 12 elders and, uh, mm. and they just literally destroyed me. Wow. And I, I like, again, I get it. I, I get the fact that there's consequences. Consequences should be there. But God never uses abandonment as a consequence. So if God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, then where are we in this? And so that the idea then is that, yes, give me consequences, but restore me. Get, stay yeah. connected. Work with me. You don't have to have everybody involved in that, but have somebody connected to that person to help them walk through what it looks like to recover and, and having covering and groups and counseling and books reading, you know, whatever. You know, the, there's a ton of things that can happen, treatment centers. But there's really no treatment. There's really very little, even in today in church scenarios, scenarios you see when, it's, when a pastor falls, he never returns. He's gone. And so they don't have any solid, very few churches have solid restorative processes. So what it does is it sets in, in process for people who go, wow, that happened to him. I can't come out in the open. That'll happen to me. Yeah. So what they do is in the name of righteousness, they actually kill any opportunity for anyone to come clean about their struggles. All it does is put them all back in further shame. So there's very little recovery in the church where they have to perform to get help or acceptance. So in this, so the church pretty much rejected me. And when I said that, when I when they did that, I told, I swear to God right there, I said, I will never walk back into a church again. I'm done. And when I walked out of there, I, I, I got in my car and I drove, took about an hour drive. And I just said, I'm never coming back to church. I'm done. And so for a year, I was worse than ever. And uh, still getting in my behavior. You th you'd think that would be the end of it all. But no, I, I got worse. I was angry. I was bitter. I was resentful. I wanted to punish the church. And um, anyhow, long story short, there's this guy who was kind of like my spiritual dad over the years. And... Uh, you know, he was a, he spoke at Bible camps and growing up in high school and he, we became friends and he kind of mentored me over the years. And, uh, and so he, but he lived about three hours away from me and, uh, and he'd call every, you know, every couple of months he'd call and say, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Well, for a year I was in a mess and I didn't call him. I didn't return his phone calls. I didn't, I just shut him out of my world. So one day he calls and I actually picked up the phone. And uh, he goes, hey, I, you know, how are you doing? I haven't heard from you in a long time. Are you okay? That kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I said, yeah, I'm doing great. Just busy. And, he, and so anyhow, he talked me into coming down and spending time with him. And I didn't want to, but I didn't. I knew I, I needed to do it. So I, I drove down three hours, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll talk about the Dodgers. I'll talk about the weather, anything but this, what's happened, because he had no clue. And then when I, 
I sat down with him in his office and I just opened up, um, just opened up everything. I just blew it wide open. I have never told another soul any of this stuff, even though they've been the most molestations and the, and the prostitutes and all that. I just, just poured it out. I don't know, probably two to three hours or at least. And, um, he gets up from behind his desk and he walks around and now I'm expecting him. He's between me and the doorway and I'm expecting him to hurt me just like everybody else has. And I stand up with my fist clenched. I was ready to punch him. Yeah. Just, if you do like everybody else, I'm decking. you. And he just, he put his arms around me. He gave me this wrestler's hug. And um, I mean, literally it's the kind of hug that doesn't let go. Like he was going to throw me or something. He just, he just grabbed me and I, and then he, he put his head, his face into my neck, and he just began to weep. You know, um, I, that's, I was 29 years in church to that point, 30 years in church. Had never tasted anything like that. And he said, I, I am so sorry that you've never tasted God's heart towards your struggles. God loves you. You're his son. And I'm, we're going to get through this. And I, I, I don't. I had no words. I had no words. But all I could do is just bawl like a baby. And whatever I, all I knew, and when I walked out of that room, I said, whatever the, excuse me, whatever the hell he gave me, whatever that was, I don't know what he did. But it gave me a heart to change. It gave me a, a will to live. And uh, what I know now is that um, so much of us live our lives hidden and that we never authentically taste God's love in those places that are dark and that are, are broken and damaged. So how I, what I actually did was authentically taste God in the depths of my soul. See, how I, I can preach that God accepts me. I can preach that God loves me. But until I yield that to taste that love, so I can see, wow, he really did love me in the corners of that, all that dark space places. He gave he put he gave me the will to live. He and what he really did was he's you know he didn't justify any of it. He didn't say, oh, I that you didn't mean to or you you should you should you're all right. He simply stepped past that and he said, you know, I see the gold. There's value. There's beauty here. You are loved by god you were created by god and see i i knew that in my head yeah i could quote scriptures till i'm blue in the face but i didn't know it in my heart i didn't yeah. taste it at the depths that i needed and truthfully that was the starting point that was not the ending it was the starting point it gave me the ability to actually move because god is a god of light and in him there's no secrets there's no darkness and if i'm going to walk with him I've got to be in the light. So uh, that stuff that I had all these years hidden wasn't in the light. So that kept me at a distance. There's no way I can get close to the light when I'm hiding. And so that you can't heal what you hide. You can't, you can't survive your secret. You can't heal from your secrets. You got to bring them to the light. So it's in the light that God works. So when I come into the light, I finally taste that God loves me. And now I can begin to move. That sets the foundation for actually rebuilding your life. And so it's, but so many have, 
you know, carry, I, I hear it over and over and over again, 60 years, 70 years, still carrying secrets that they had since childhood. They've never talked about ever. And they expect, we expect God to heal what we're not willing to bring. And so we will never heal what we keep in secret. Yeah. And that's, it just reminds listening to you tell that story just reminds me of that moment that I received in, in my life when, when I received the forgiveness from, from my wife and from Jesus for the things that I did and never knowing, never knowing about God before up until that moment. So I, it, it just made me think about identity, right? And where is our identity? Mm-hmm. And for, for all those years that you were doing the things that, that you were doing and for all the years I was doing the things I was doing, the identity was never in God. It was put in something else to fill us, try to fill up this hole in our heart, at least for me anyways, that I just never, I could never fill with anything but pornography and, and objectifying women. And so it is, it is, but it is right. And you're right. It is just a starting point, right? And that, that unlocked the opportunity to take those steps forward by finally understanding what, what God is doing to your heart. Like that's now I can actually walk now. It's crazy. Amen. Well, yeah. so God is a God of light. So he's yeah. the architect of light. So what he does, the building process, but he has to have it. It needs to be in the light. That's my journey with God. That's my responsibility because I can't change nothing on my own, but I can bring it to the light. So God can. And so, the, but when I stay in secret, the enemy is the dark prince of darkness. He comes to rob, steal and destroy. So everything of seek in secret, it's his work. He's working in those places uh, to rob, steal, and destroy the dignity and value and beauty that God brought to my life to begin with. So God's restoration is to restore what was broken, what was taken, what was damaged. And so the, he only restores what you bring to the light. So anyhow, that's the first big step. And then it's finding a community of people that you can walk this. In. It's not just a confessional. It's not like I... I come and I pour it out, and then now I can go live what I want. No, you walk a life of, in the open. It's so to live an authentic life, to live in the light. To it's a journey in the light. So I'm continually learn, looking at the stuff in my life that's broken because of the way I live. And so it's a journey of healing, a journey of restoration. And so I just saw so much beautiful things over time heal. Um, you know, so there are two basic things that really kind of um, they're foundational for the struggle. So and if someone's saying I struggle with porn or I'm struggling with the clubs or whatever, and they just the thought life and they can't talk about it. There are two primary things that can. First of all, you come out in the open with somebody, find a find an environment with at least one other person where you have, can be fully authentic, meaning that you don't hide that they can. They, they could they have enough information they could kill you <laughs> they could hurt you um there's nothing hidden so no secret so you have at least one relationship with here's the word no cell protection so have one at least one but the idea is to build a community of those people so that you can be in the open live in the open and have them be able to come around you and help you walk the the, the other piece is that is that there are when I'm struggling, when I am having the fantasy world or the or the desire to act out, or if I've gone and acted out, there are two basic things I ask myself. And it it comes out of the scripture says that um, that if a man looks on a woman to lust, 
he's already committed adultery. Well, that look to lust means to look to satisfy, look to, to gratify an inner thirst. So it's it's not about the look so much. It is there is there, the issue is obviously looking, but the bigger issue is why am I looking? What am I trying to get from that look? So we're taking this a little deeper. It, deeper meaning we're not saying you know you know you, you want to put blocks on your computer and you want to make sure there's accountability about what you're doing online and you want to make sure that you know you you have accountability around your finances and and you know some of that can, so those things are valuable but they don't bring change what brings change is looking a little deeper why am i pushing past all these boundaries why do i want to objectify a woman so it's the it's the why that we ask so i say what are you thirsty for what are you hungry for and learning what that desire is, learning what you're hungry for, because every need God desires to meet according to his riches and glory. So whatever need is really under there, learning what that is and then learning new strategies to meet those needs in a healthy way rather than going to the superficial. And the second thing is, is that we're using it to co cope with pain. So where, where are you hurting? What's, what's, what, what's being triggered right now? We're not even thinking that, but maybe we just had rejection. Maybe we just been disrespected or maybe we don't feel like we have any value or we don't matter. or We're not significant. So we go, we have pain going on and we don't know as men, we don't know how to deal with pain. So we look to try to mult, we try to relieve that pain. So what is the need and what is the pain? And if you can learn to, to, to understand those and to have strategies into addressing those, then you will have less desire to walk out the negative. So you've, you've mentioned authentic, being authentic uh, a few times here. And I know that you, one of your, the, the ideas that you are focused on is this idea of authentic manhood. Can you yeah. talk about what authentic manhood looks like to you and how it works towards recovery and redemption? Because I think you have to be authentic as a man after you get caught in situations like this to be able to come out of it and be able to, to for God to be able to use you. You know, so boy, it's such an, it's such an important topic. We would need literally <laughs> all weekend, bro, but we'll, we'll take on it. We'll take it on a little bit. So okay. the, the idea of authenticity, if I can start there, the idea of authenticity is, is that it's not that authenticity means you're, you are completely together. Authenticity means that you just get what is real. So in other words, I'm, you know, when the scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the idea is that if I bring it to the light, God can restore it. But the idea is I'm afraid to bring it to the light because I'm afraid I, I don't want people to see me broken. So we're afraid that somehow we're sinning beyond the cross. Somehow we're sinning beyond God's ability to redeem. Because how many times have we said no to something and we've done it again? So we think based on our limited experience, that if someone comes to me and hits me or breaks my car and then they come back and they say, I'm sorry, and then they come back and they do it again and do it again and do it again, how many times am I going to forgive them? And so in some ways, we feel like we're disqualified from having real relationships. So we feel like we got to lie. We got to pretend. We got we to gotta act like it's not there. But authenticity means is just get real. So... The idea, if you say, in First John, it says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. 
you're, 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 and the truth is not in you. So the reality is you have sin, you have dysfunction, you have shortcomings, you have failures. Then why not? Why don't we all realize that and just live it and let them, let it be seen. It isn't that I'm trying to live it out in its fullness and live out my dysfunction. I'm just realizing that I have good and bad in me. There's not, there's not one or the other. There's both. They're dual. I have healthy and I have unhealthy. Everybody's got it. So why not be real about it rather than saying, yeah, when Jesus came into my life, everything has changed. That's baloney. That's a, that's superficial. That isn't real Christianity. That is not being authentic. Authentic is yes. Jesus came in and he's changed my heart. Now I have a lot of work to do. I had, you know? Yeah. 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 All, Cause that, for sure, because that's one of the things that that I you know I tell people like my my wife's forgiveness was was critical because without that you know all the bitterness would would still be around there'd be no way for us to heal our relationship but because of that forgiveness now I could take accountability for my actions and now I can put in the work that needed to be done to make myself better and to be the godly husband the godly man that that we're called to be. And, I, and to know that if you're living humanity out in a real way, you're going to have brokenness as well as health. And that you can show that knowing there's a redeemer. God's got this. God's died for this. I don't have to hide that. I don't have to pretend. There's a God that's working in my journey. There's God who loves me. It's not disqualifying me. And so if there's anything, God hates pretend. Right? He, yeah. hates, the, he hates the superficial. He yeah. hates the, the cup that's clean on the outside, but it's not clean on the inside. Mm. So, mm -hmm. so the idea, God wants us to be authentic. And truthfully, when people see authenticity, they see what's real, and they can see God working in the real. So that there is true testimony there that they can say, wow, that guy, he was a pain in the butt. But man, look at him now. Look, what, <laughs> look what's happening to it, right? So yeah. instead of being this superficial person, so the reality is that authenticity is the key. Well, it's a core value of mine, but it's a core value of God that we live in the light. And yeah. so that means that no hiding. There's no shadows in the light. And so it is not simple. That's an easy statement to make. It is a heck of a lot harder to live. And actually, it's a journey to grow and learn how to be a man of the light. So true masculinity, I mean, true masculinity is lived in a light because that's you let your full self be seen. And what happens with men, because we are we are we've we've been taught that our who we are is what we do. So, like, for instance, think about it. If I first meet you, I'm going to shake your hand. You're going to shake mine. We say, what's our names? And I go, so what do you do? What do you work? That's almost the almost given right mm -hmm. and why do we do that because it, uh, it helps us set what the pecking order is or how we feel better about ourselves because we're doing and you want to find a guy who's depressed have him be without a job for a while yeah and it's not that it's healthy identity it's just the reality that we as men think we are what we do that's right but the truth is we're not we're human beings not human doing yeah you're right it, it took me a while to figure out where my identity truly was yeah 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 so as a man whose whole identity in this culture is based on what i do hmm. 
then to go against that flow and they actually say, you know what? I, I don't have what it takes to do that. I don't know if I, I have what it, I have, I have the ability to, to love my life, wife. Well, I keep failing. I don't know if I can take on that addiction and come out the other end. I'm not sure how to love my son well. I've never done that, but I've never had it happen for me. So I don't even know what to do. I'm not sure I want to enter that world because it will show that I don't have what it takes to be a dad. So whenever we hear the words as men, I don't have what it takes, either in action or even in just in, in innuendo. As soon as I think, if I enter that, everybody will see that I don't, I'm not enough. I'm going to run from it. And the way I run from it is what we call the ditch of avoidance where you just shut it down and don't even look at it or the ditch of overcompensation where it's anger, rage, you know, addiction, all that stuff comes up. So the idea is that we are, we're not going to show up in a healthy way. And so the, for to be an authentic man is to be able to say, you know what? I may not have what it takes. I don't know how to love my wife. Well, here I am failing at this, but I know if I enter this, that God and I, and I got a community around me. We got this. I'll figure this out. I'm going to get through this. God's going to walk me out of this. Yeah, that's good. So anyhow. Well, and so, and I won't be respectful of your time. So, but before we, before we get out of here, I, I do want to ask it, what the reaction has been, as, as I mentioned, as, as when we started this conversation, you know, you, you shared your story uh, in an Exodus cry movie, buying her. And so I'm just curious, the re- the reaction that, that you've received you've been you know so you went on tour in the u.s a handful of cities where this movie was played i'm just curious the reaction you received from from people who probably aren't used to seeing a man and a former buyer in these conversations and i and i and i fully believe being in it more than i am now like like it has to be part of the conversation I don't yeah. think you can talk about sex trafficking without talking about the demand side. And so I, I'd love, I'm curious, real curious what the reaction has been to your participation in that. Well, you know, there are some who push back because they, they, they think that, um, a, that, a, that a, you know, quote unquote buyer would be in the same room as women who have been survivors. Um, there's, so there was, there, there was some push, some pushback, but, but when they actually saw the film and then we had the panel afterwards, so many things happened. I mean, you, we had any, I, I don't know what the numbers were in the film, uh, in the, the theater, but some of them were, you know, somewhere around 150 average. And they, most of them, all but 13, we went to 13 different cities and all but two were packed up. So, mm-hmm. So we had a full house, and this full house wasn't church. This was people yeah. from this is a cross section, right? From culture. So we had a lot of we had law enforcement, we had politicians, we had a judge there, one of them. We we had survivors, we had um, just a ton of people. So anyway, long story short, is that when we got done, um, and then I that uh, I got. And I, I hate, I hate the, I'll just say it anyway. When I got, when I, when they introduced me after the film, I got a standing ovation twice. And, mm. and, and I don't want that. I, it's not, yeah. This isn't, this isn't glory gene. This is, 
this is my worst nightmare in my life. This is something I would prefer to, to put down and never talk about again. Why, why are we doing this? And the only reason we're doing this is because there's redemption in it. And redemption because men and women need to heal. And, um, and so I take the risk because um, we need this. So we had survivors coming up and hugging and, and weeping uh, in front of everybody, uh, asking, telling, telling me they forgive me for being a part of that world. Uh, we had men standing up saying, that's my story. Thank you for coming out. We just had you know, a ton of people after the fact that would come and, you know, we'd always had this after meeting kind of after, you know, where we could go sit and just relax and people, you know, everybody was invited and we had just a sea of people um, from everything from this, this is my husband's story to this is my son's story to um, how can we help? How can we break? So it was quite humbling for me to see a crowd, to, to see a crowd, react the way they reacted you know um what i do know is that if you know if one man can cause so much harm what can one redeemed man do and i just know from kind of going through this that it's it's that god can take my worst part of my life my story and he can bring beauty from it and he can bring impact from it if I'm willing to bring it into the light. And truthfully, it's God. There's nothing I, I there's nothing for me to, to I don't look for a pat on the back or scratch and say, hey, man, you're amazing. I don't need that. I don't want that. I, it's not why we're doing it. But there, but the reality of it is, I mean, really think about it. Is that you know, everybody thinks their story is beyond redemption. You know, my, you know, I, I'm not kidding you. The, if we laid my whole story on the table, I, if, you know, it could make your skin crawl. But the reality of it is that even in that, God chooses to take that and bring beauty to it. That's, and that's the thing. It's, you know, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. You know, I, I boast in my weakness because it, it shows the power of Christ. Now, paraphrasing there, but that that is why, and that's why I share my story. I know that's why you share your story. It's not to bring us any sort of accolades at all. It's to bring the, it's to show the power of God and what God can do in people's lives. And man, I just thank you for for your vulnerability over the years. Um, I know that I didn't meet you until I was partway through my journey and my journey continues, but just listening to your story brings me encouragement and knows that, you know, just... Um, it just shows me that I'm heading in the right direction. Like we, we've got to be, we've got to be talking about these things and we've got to be part of the conversation and we've got to be help lift men up out of this and, and show them that they can be redeemed. So thank you. You, know, you bet. Neil, I wanted to say one, one last thing. Yeah, please. Um, so at the center of everything is that God created every one of us. Every one of us was created for a purpose. And so, it, perpetrator, whatever, everyone has a genuine value inside of them that God, God didn't make them to be a perpetrator. God didn't make them to be an offender. That, that is their brokenness. But here's the deal, you know, when we see, we were 
when we see that that beauty that God created, when we taste that, that there's a purpose, there's we're meant for more, that we're more than our shame, that we're more than our messes, and that our messes don't determine who we are. They don't determine our 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 past does not determine our future. All God can take the biggest mess and make it of something of beauty. But the big biggest thing in this is realizing it, what got me out of this was that when Butch wrestled, when that guy or, or gave me a hug and embraced me, he was saying, there's something more to you you're not seeing. I see it. There's gold in there. And when I tasted that, then that just lit me up because the, the scriptures say that why would you hide your light under a bushel? But you're to show that before the whole world. You're meant to be seen. So the idea that I want to shine that beauty in me, not just a dysfunction, but the beauty in me as I grow that, as I see that and grow that and live from that, it changes your entire world because now I'm living with purpose. Now I'm living in intent. Now I'm living in what God made me originally to be. And he is saying that I see the brokenness. I see your mess. That's not you. And let's get to the real you and let's grow that. Let's heal that. Let's change that. And doing that now in this moment, I'm living in what I'm 67 years old. I'm living what God meant to me to be. Thanks again to Gene for, for coming on and, and sharing just his, his incredible story of, of overcoming <laughs> all the things that happened to him, overcoming his shame and, and now being able to help others and help pull men, women, and children uh, up out of their shame uh, and into a new life. And so, and I, I don't know about you, but when, when he told that story about how that, that his friend of his, who after Gene unloaded everything about his life to him, just stands up and give him, gives him a giant bear hug. Like that story has stuck with me. And like this is what I that is what I want to do, right? As 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 someone who is a follower of Christ, I want to be that bear hug for other people, right? And and I know that I I want other people in my life to be able to give me that bear hug when I when I need encouragement as well. I just I just love that story. So thanks again to Gene uh, for coming on to share today, and I'll put a link to uh, his organization. Um, Authentic Relationships International down in the show notes. Uh, so coming up next week uh, on Unmasked. Uh, so, you know, obviously because of my journey and because of my experience, we talk to a lot of people who help deal with men dealing with pornography and sex addiction and, and, um, or just talk about the impacts of, of pornography on men, but it also impacts women as well. And so next week, I'm going to talk to uh, Ruth uh, Havsepian, and, and Ruth shares her story of overcoming pornography and sex addiction uh, to turn around her life uh, and talks. She has a, a new book coming out that talks about the power of prayer in healing lives. And so I'm excited to share that episode with all of you next week. So um, hey, that's it. We made it through the episode. We are back on track. We got a new episode coming out next week with Ruth, so don't miss it. And um, just remember that Jesus didn't come to hang out with the saints and the righteous. He came to hang out with the sick and the sinners of the world. 
just like you, very much just like me, but not to revel in our sin, but to call us out of it. Have an awesome week, everybody.